Okay, can I maybe just say a, like a very interesting thing that happened that I, I found to be quite funny. So apparently one of the things that you need to submit is a credit rating. So the thing is that I'm like, hmm, I'm a fine upstanding citizen. I don't borrow money. My dad always tells me don't spend what you don't have, right? Uh, so borrowing money was sort of like anathema to me. I hate borrowing money. Uh, I don't like to owe people things. Kind of very proud. Uh, it stems from a place of pride, right? So I thought I'll get an amazing credit rating, but it turns out right that Lydia's credit rating is like you got you got a top top one right, which is A something. A right? or whatever. Yeah. So her, her credit rating is A, because Lydia had a credit card from a previous job. She has been buying things with her credit card and repaying those uh, credit card loans time in a timely fashion, right? So that somehow gives her like a very good credit rating. Whereas for me. I don't borrow money and I don't use a credit card. And then they're like, oh, we can't trust this person. We don't know whether he will repay the money after he borrowed. I thought the whole point is that I have a stellar credit rating because I don't borrow money. <laughs> it turns out it's not. So my, my credit rating is actually worse. It's called CX or something. That means a unknown factor, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know, Dan, I know. To date, I don't have a credit card too. I mean, coconuts, bear with me. I don't be like, oh my god, the furniture coconut doesn't have a credit card. The truth is, I do have a pretty complicated backstory myself. Coming from a family that was bankrupt once and a lot of issue with debt, I struggled with the idea of credit. But I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. After doing the financial coconut for two years, recording two years worth of content, interviewing all these people, and I've been investing for many, many years. I think I'm ready. So shout out to all you credit card company If you're looking for an ambassador Email to hello at financialcoconut.com Look for Reggie, the chief financial coconut You know, you know, you know Sponsor here <laughs> Hey Coconuts, welcome back to episode 2 of season 2 of Coconut Avenue In episode 1, we had Dan and Lydia The dynamic podcasting duo from Long Kang Kitties Do check out their podcast and also, if you have not listened to episode 1, you should. They went through this emotional journey of getting their BTO and I'm very happy that they came on the show to share with us that whole process. And we ended off with Dan thinking that he had a better credit score. For the sake of technical clarity, credit rating is for a company. So a company, a corporate, a business is rated by a credit rating. A credit score is for an individual like you and I. So today we're going to figure a little bit more about this credit score situation and also get some clarity on mortgages. I mean, you do know that mortgages and properties are actually two different things, right? You can actually own a property without owning the mortgage. And with that, I want to introduce you to David Bay, founder of Mortgage Master, aka The Mortgage Master. He spent time with Andrew, host of Chills with TFC. By the way, this Andrew guy now calls himself the Chief Chill Coconut. I mean, I mean, what precedent have I set? <laughs> But more importantly, I want to thank him for helping me interview all the experts in Season 2. And if you want to listen to all the extended interview with all the experts that you hear in this season of Coconut Avenue, you should check out Chills with TFC on our main podcast channel. Link is in the description below. Take it away, Andrew. Let's talk a bit about credit score. Because we've heard this saying that you need to have some credit card spending to demonstrate that you have good credit and therefore then you have a good credit score so they can you know get your yep. bank loan, right? So what if someone believes that you know he, that you shouldn't have credit cards? You know, what if someone <laughs> doesn't have credit cards and and well he or she doesn't owe anything? Technically, 
should have a good credit score, but you know, there's no credit proof. Okay, so we talk about loan eligibility, right? Uh, of course, if you're employed by a very renowned firm um, and your income is high and your loan is small, no problem. So when we talk about, and, and your credit is clean, like you have zero credit cards, of course, right, no right. problem. But let's say it's a very marginal call. Your income is just nice, your loan is there, or you need a little bit of push, like, can I use your bonus to this extent or not? And we have to justify for you as a banker. Credit score and credit record then comes into play. I'll rank it in a very funny way. Huh? Having credit cards that you pay in full every time is rank number one. Rank number two is having credit cards that you pay on time, not pay in full. Rank number three, actually two and three is very subjective depending on which bank lah, if you got no credit cards at all. Mm. So number two can be paying on time, but uh, just paying the minimum. Yes. Right, you're not paying in full, okay. Yes. So why? Willingness to pay and ability to pay is something that you need credit cards to show. Having no credit cards doesn't show that you have ability to pay or willingness to pay. I'll give you a very funny scenario, huh? When I was a banker, very high income, very rich individual and high profile family, $5 million property, $1 million loan. Now, it's very easy to lend. Uh. Your property worth 5 mil, you only borrow 1 mil. Yeah, because I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not afraid you tsao. Uh, had to pay a reject. Okay, so family high profile means his father, rich father high profile, but he is normal. Uh. So he got a bit angry with me. He's like, why why the bank? Do you know who I am? You know who my father is? Yeah, I'm curious to know who I am. Yeah, can I, uh, <laughs> is, yeah but then, uh, do you know I'm private banking customer? Uh, so of course, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll ask my credit, right? Mm. Of course, I would never be able to tell the reasons. It's so many years, I don't think the guy even remembers anymore like, because I solved his problem for him in the end. But Ooh. the credit department actually told me this. Look, we see this guy, Jairo. Uh, he has three accounts with us and... Two accounts are funded One account is not funded The account that's not funded All the gyro is from that account Every single month Gyro not enough So this oh, bounce, So I Instead of writing an email The credit officer called me And explained to me He is Hear this word ah Chao kuan Got money to pay Don't want to pay You know you got some friends right Very rich one But go dinner also Always want you to pay for them Chao kuan I don't like this kind of client Okay, juicy story for another time. Check out our main podcast. Bay said something very important. Your credit score is indicative of both your ability to pay and your willingness to pay your credits. In other words, if you borrow and pay on time, you're considered a top credit individual. There are all sorts of scenarios and I will not bore you with them. But a quick way to check your credit score is to visit the Singapore Credit Bureau. Creditbureau.com.sg C-R-E-D-I-T-B-U-R-E-A-U.com.sg For $6.42, transactional fee will allow you to see your credit score. So I guess my credit score shouldn't be great since I work for an obscure company and I do not have a credit card under my name. Something to work on. Yes, you and I. All of us, we got to work on this. <laughs> and you guys can do so by helping me share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Then I will eventually work for a famous company and I don't need a credit card. <laughs> Importantly, I think we need to vividly recognise that there are laws and there are bank practices. Credit score is very much within the bank practice. It is a reference for the bankers to decide if you're a good person to lend to. But there are other things that are law, and everyone is bound by it regardless of your credit score. 
for clarity on why the laws are structured on a certain way, you can visit MAS, Monetary Authority of Singapore's website. They have a clear explanation to share with you their perspective and thought process behind the laws. You don't have to agree, eh? but they have their perspective and reasons why they want to structure the law this way. And I think it's good to know. And I will not attempt to share with you all the laws. <laughs> I believe that if I do so, you will drop off on the podcast. <laughs> but there are some important laws, like loan tenure. So loan tenure for HDBs are kept at 30 years and for non-HDB properties at 35 years, meaning your maximum duration of your loan for HDB is 30 years and 35 years for non-HDB properties. There are other two popular metrics for loans, MSR and TDSR. Yes, here we begin the railroad of endless acronyms. MSR is Mortgage Servicing Ratio and TDSR is Total Debt Servicing Ratio. Both trying to cap your total loan amount with reference to your income. And I will let Bay share more with you. So when you buy a house, you always have to go through TDSR regardless it's private or HDB. TDSR stands for all your total debts. The ratio cannot be more than 60%. So they say... All our car loans. Yeah, all total debts. Every, every loan that every you're loan. Ha- having. Yeah. So what are loans? Credit cards. Uh, okay, so for example, I use easy numbers, okay? A guy is privileged to earn 10000 a month. 60% is 6000 So 6000 of his income can be used to service all liabilities. So if he owns a car and the car loan is 1000 a month, he's left with 5k. If he uses many, many credit cards and the minimum sum payable add together is another 1000 eh, minus another 1k, he's left with 4k. Insurance, he has a lot, eh, but insurance is not a liability, so you don't need to care. Right, so he's 4k. So then we'll do the maths and reverse engineer, it's all algebra actually. With 4000 left of income for loans, how much is his maximum loan? That's how we calculate home loan eligibility. Mm. That's for private. For HDB, we also must calculate MSR and take the lesser off, which is 30%. So TDSR is total debt. M is only mortgage servicing ratio. So if he owns an office, that's a mortgage. If he doesn't own any other property, then it's just 10000 a month, 3K is for mortgage. Then it's just 3000 like based off that and then find the home loan eligibility based on 3000 Technically, if a guy has no liabilities at all, he's 40 years old and above, and he earns 10k, a HDB loan will get you 3,000. You can use 3,000, a private loan can use 6,000. So he can borrow double for a private property. So MSR, Mortgage Servicing Ratio, indicates that no more than 30% of our gross monthly income should go towards repaying all our property loans including the loan being applied for. This, however, only applies for HDB flats and executive condominiums known as ECs. TDSR, Total Debt Servicing Ratio, indicates that no more than 60% of a borrower's gross monthly income should go towards repaying all their debt obligations, including the loan being applied for. That will mean your university debt, your car loans, credit cards, all included, shouldn't exceed 60% of your gross monthly income. Of course, there are many other permutations, things like your age, whether it's a joint mortgage borrowing, the number and type of property, whether you're a freelancer, how much bonuses you get, they all affect the total loan amount you can hold in your name. These are broadly termed under loan-to-value limits. 
Once again, check MAS website for more information. My focus for this season is the first-time millennial homeowner. So to make your life very simple amidst all these permutations, you can actually just go to mortgagemaster.com, punch in some numbers into a calculator and find out the loan you can get. <laughs> okay, okay, coconuts, bear with me, yeah? But now that we have went through the basics of how your loan and loan eligibility are broadly calculated, the next question is, should I get a HDB loan or a bank loan then? Yep, all of you that didn't know, you can buy HDB without taking a loan from HDB. Like I have said, mortgage and property are two separate things. But of course, you cannot get a HDB loan for private properties. Lah, huh? <laughs> At this juncture though, I want to address that one scary question about loans. What happened if I cannot service my loan? And of course, I must bring back Bay with his thoughts from experience. So what happens, you know, when you have HDB versus a private property and you are not able to service your mortgage? Can you paint us the different scenarios? Wow. Can you negotiate with HDB, for example? Is it harder to negotiate with the banks? It's easier to negotiate with the banks, but HDB will give you more chance. Okay, I give you... Well, I explained that. I, okay, I give, <laughs> it's easier okay. to negotiate with the bank, but HDB will give you more chances. We, we talk about first, oh. we talk about I own a HDB, okay? But I own a HGB, HGB, I have two scenarios. I can have a HGB loan or I have a bank, bank loan. Bank loan, yeah. Okay, so for bank loan, I have local banks and I have foreign banks. Firstly, if let's say today I declare bankrupt, but I still pay my housing loan installments on time. If you have a HGB, the law states that the creditors cannot take your HGB to sell and for sale. Right, so that's a good thing about owning a HDB if you're going to declare bankrupt. And obviously, please don't prepare to declare bankrupt in your life, mm -hmm. la, right? But that's a security there. Um, oh, sorry, I'm doing my own business, Mortgage Master, right? Uh, I could buy a condo or a HDB. I just bought a HDB and I told my wife, I bought a 1,600 EA, 1,600 square feet EA. But I told my wife why I don't want to buy a condo because if my business, I plan for it to succeed, but anything happens, we have always a house to stay in. Right. Okay, but let's say you don't pay your mortgage on time. Uh, I know foreign banks can start three to six months of late payments. They will just foreclose. Local banks, six to nine months. HDB loan, I've seen people owe HDB for 16 months, 18 months, and HDB never foreclosed yet. Lah. Technically, all of them can foreclose within three to six months of you not paying. But... I've seen HDB give more longer waiting period. And when I say how come I know they haven't paid for 16 to 18 months, when you have a HDB loan, uh, any loan, there's a statement, I can see that you have not paid for 16 months. So I would say HDB loan give more chance. But technically, they can foreclose it if they want to. Mm, I mean, of course, yeah. you're speaking from your own experience, but Correct. this is a case-by-case case yeah, basis. Maybe at that period of time, they were busy. <laughs> they didn't have the personnel, right. but you know, they can. Technically, they have the legal rights too. So don't bet on it. I mean, you still yeah, need please, to have your cash flow, you know, yeah. manage your finances, right? Right, right, Bay. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, must manage our finances. That's why we run the podcast. <laughs> Whatever Bay said is something to note but also to dispel because some people really believe that HDB will not foreclosure your flats if you cannot pay, meaning HDB will not quote-unquote take back the property. But as what they said, legally, whether you take a HDB loan or a bank loan, if you cannot service the loan, the bank or HDB has legal rights to take back the property that is pledged within this loan. 
Because in all mortgages, you are actually pledging your property as an underlying asset to the loan that gives the lender assurance and explains the generally low interest rate for mortgages. If you cannot pay the mortgage, after many rounds of discussion, the lender can take back your property. So putting aside the ambiguity of HDB's internal practices of extra graciousness, the technical difference between a HDB loan and a bank loan revolves around two points. One, if you take a HDB loan for a HDB flat, yes, you cannot take a HDB loan for private property. But if you take a HDB loan for a HDB flat, you can take up to 90% of your total purchase price if you are a first-time home buyer with no mortgages in your name. However, bank loans on HDBs only allow you up to 75% of the purchase price. Two is the interest rates. HDB has a fixed interest rate of 2.6% at the time of recording, while bank mortgages have variable interest rates over time. So if you want to choose a HDB loan or just curious how much HDB loan you can get, you can just go to HDB's website and check out the HDB Loan Eligibility, aka HLE Loan. Yes, HDB also have a calculator on their website. Don't be like that and Lydia freaking out about all the changes huh? as a result of technical issues. I know it's tiring if there are changes and you're so close, but hey, if there are any discrepancies, approach HDB directly to clarify. HDB loans are relatively simple and fixed, and interest rates don't change. But if you've heard it somewhere out there that it's a low interest rate environment and that bank mortgages are cheaper than HDB now and you would like to explore bank mortgages, one thing you need to know is that bank mortgage rates are always floating. Yes, even the fixed ones are floating, just after a few years. And Bay did a pretty good breakdown with us in Season 1 of Coconut Avenue, Episode 13. And I want to put it here to give you clarity on how bank mortgages are decided. The first thing everybody has to understand, why do I care about floating rates where I only want to take fixed rates? For example, if somebody asks that question, because in Singapore, no fixed rate is forever. There is a two-year fixed rate, a one-year fixed rate, a three-year fixed rate, a five-year fixed rate, and that's the limit today. So even if you take a five-year fixed rate, on the six year is a floating rate. And understanding what floating rate you go into, even if you say, I'll refinance after that, understanding what it goes into actually may save you money. For example, if I believe that Cyborg three years ago will be low, after my fixed rate is finished, I want I don't mind being in Cyborg. Actually, today your Cyborg rate will be cheaper than your fixed rate because maybe at that point of time three years ago will be like one point eight percent three years fixed, and then Cyborg plus zero point eight. Cyborg plus zero point eight is one point two only today. So why I don't need to refinance today? But then if you choose a bought rate or a rate that is not transparent, uh, maybe three years later your rate is four percent. So you are forced to refinance. Don't you want choices even though you probably will refinance? I think the choices that people have is actually a privilege. So make sure you, you take that privilege when you can and understand what you're going to be into next time. Then you ask me what should the people take? A fixed rate or a floating rate? Huh? It really depends on your view of the market. So a floating rate means you view that the market recession will continue and interest rates will stay low. Um, the market is really very weird right now because interest rates are supposed to stay low but then US Treasury rates increase causing Cyborg to have a small increase. But in general, interest rates may stay low and if you believe that a recession is here to stay, then take Cyborg today. Okay, Cyborg plus a spread is the rate. So for example, today Cyborg is 0.4 plus 0.8, you get 1.2. 
Cyborg in 2019 was 2%. That's mm. how high it can fluctuate. Huh? Mm. To sell loans in 2019, banks had to take Cyborg plus 0.4. I have even banks who gave Cyborg plus 0.1. Which mm. means if you, at that point, 2% plus 0.1 is 2.1. Huh? Two years later, now you are paying 0.4 plus 0.1. You're only paying 0.5%. That boat has sailed. Because those who dare to take Cyborg during the high believing it would drop, today are saving a lot of money, but they took the risk of taking a Cyborg rate when it was high, and it could have risen even higher. Fair. Yeah, Fair. yeah so they took that risk, right? Mm-hmm. But now the interest rates are 1.2, 1.3. Cyborg is 0.4. So do, I'm a bank. Do I need to tell you Cyborg plus 0.1? Don't need. Cyborg plus 0.8 equals 1.2. That's the loan I offer you today. Mm-hmm. So you cannot get the plus 0.1 anymore. Mm-hmm. So now... If you believe interest rates are going to stay low, you may take that, you know, still. But if I tell you a fixed rate is 1.25, then 1.25 versus 1.2 is too minute a difference. Even though you believe that the market is going to stay low, sometimes a 0.05% risk, I'll just take the fix, lah. You know, I don't want to even have any border with risk at all. So, depends on your preference, your risk preferences, depending on your market outlook, and depending on how you understand the market as well. Mm. Um, and that's why consultants like us will tell you some history like, you know, Cyborg State low for so long, this is what happened before. Then you have mm. a better, more information to make your choice with. So as you can tell, mortgages can be quite complicated with all the interest rates fluctuations at play. And for all of you that didn't know, Cyborg, S-I-B-O-R, is Singapore Interbank Overnight Rate the rate that banks used to lend each other money. But what is important is that this is merely a reference point in which the banks calculate the loan rates to all of us, mortgages or otherwise. And also, Cyber will be phased out to Sora, which will be the new reference point, Singapore Overnight Rate Average, S-O-R-A. Which actually, not very important, Cyber or Sora. You just need to know that these are just reference points for the banks to decide what is the mortgage rate to you. Either way, they are all affected by the broader interest rates environment. So truth be told, mortgages aren't exactly a walk in the park. You don't just go walk into the bank and say, oh, I want a loan. Or not as simple as lowest interest rate now or largest loan tenor. Depending on the amount of cash you have, what is your cash flow, your income, the number of property, how old you are, the type of property, they all will affect your mortgages and how much mortgage you actually want to get. I want today's episode not to scare you, but to impart two main ideas. Number one is that because mortgages have so many permutations, instead of beginning your search for your home, you should first check your mortgage eligibility both from HDB and banks. If you wish to explore a mortgage broker, hey, feel free to check out Mortgage Master. Mortgage brokers make money from the banks. They do not actually charge you a fee in the process, so why not? And the other is that mortgage and property are actually two separate things. You can own a property without being part of the mortgage. These are important principles to be clear when buying your first property. In the next episode, we have a lawyer in the house. Very important. I think we must bring on one lawyer to give us some clarity on what are our rights, what are common mistakes, how do we protect ourselves as first-time home buyers. Like it or not, once you sign the contract, you are very likely just bound by it. So I hope you learned something useful today. And if you want to learn more about different mortgage strategies, check out Choose with TSC and also episode 13 of Coconut Avenue Season 1. If you cannot wait for more content next week. See ya!